Welcome to Change Making Women, the podcast for women who make a difference. With Siada Baid in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, and Marianne Clements in London, in the UK. So, hi, and welcome to Change Making Women. Um, well, I'm here tonight, and Ziada is here, but she has lost her voice. So, she is our silent podcasting partner and producer and editor, and all the great things she always does tonight. And we are here with, oh, I'm in London and she's in Dar es Salaam, listening but not speaking. And we are here with our guest this evening, who's Hannah Thompson. Hi, Hannah. Hi. Hi, Marianne. How are you? I'm good, thanks. So just tell us where you are in the world as well, so so our listeners have an idea. Um, so I'm Hannah, I'm Hannah Thompson. I'm a consultant, a home-based consultant based in southwest France in the Pyrenees, right. in the mountains, covered in snow at the moment. Oh, cool. Have you got loads of snow up there? Um, well, in our village, we've had about 10 centimetres and then about a 20-minute drive away. We've had, uh, yeah, it was sort of, I guess, 75 centimetres deep. Wow. So we went up to the snow a, a couple of times, yeah. Wow. We've had like not very much in London, but enough to throw snowballs at each other this weekend. So <laughs> quite nice. <laughs> so let's um let's get into our subject for this evening. So we'll start with just I'm gonna ask you to tell us a little bit about your work and how you come to be doing it. And then we'll jump into the topic which is about kind of juggling that with being a mum and, and, and all the things that emerge from that that we're going to have a chat about this evening but just tell us what 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 it is you do or a bit about what it is you do and what you what you're working on um so i'm a home-based uh consultant um for child protection which is the prevention and response to exploitation abuse and neglect of children um and sexual and gender-based violence prevention and response um in humanitarian settings mm-hmm. so that can be um in response to refugees needs or uh, in natural disasters or in conflict settings okay so there's a whole Um, range of stuff and um, so what sort of things would you be offering as a consultant in those settings are you you actually going to the settings or is it mostly you know doing work that supports people working in those places so I spent uh, about eight years overseas living and working in those uh, kind of environments. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, about, I'm trying to work out, six years ago, um, I decided I wanted to move back to London um, at first because I'm British. Um, and then I was more supporting people who are implementing projects and programs in those settings. Mm-hmm. And that was through training, policy development, program guidance, um, so both as a head office advisor for uh, Save the Children and then as a consultant working for, for a range of different agencies, international NGOs and UN agencies. Mm-hmm. Sorry, that was my little girl. That's okay. <laughs> so that's what you're, and so that's the sort of role that you're in now, working from where you are now in, in the Pyrenees, yeah? Yeah. So, and so now I'm home-based and there is, I mean, we'll come to that a bit more, I guess, um, but um, the consultancy contracts I would take would often cover some travel, include some travel for research or, or delivering 
services um, such as training mm-hmm. um, and uh, some home-based components where I'm developing some documents or doing some research yeah. online or carrying out online Skype phone calls and things like that. Got it. Right. Okay. So let's jump into our topic. So how do you juggle that sort of work involving travel um, and going to maybe difficult or, or risky situations with being a mum? Yeah, so I mean, I guess so. initially I moved back to the UK more because I wanted more personal time and um, to, to be closer to my my family as in my biological family my parents mm-hmm. and my brothers and at that point I was not in a relationship mm-hmm. um, and I didn't have children um, but it so happens that that helped a lot um, for me personally in the in the process of well I eventually met someone and had children and I think um, having worked in the head office and then being able to get consultancy work and then because of the contacts I had made in the head office setting Mm -hmm. um, meant that as a consultant, I feel more able to negotiate what is more suitable for me Mm -hmm. and to be able to pick and choose contracts either that require less travel or, you know, sometimes I've taken a contract where it does require travel and being able to subcontract some of the travel out to someone else. Mm -hmm. Um, and depending on your clients, so some clients are amazingly flexible mm-hmm. um, and have, and you know, I've kind of tried to be frank and honest from the outset about my limitations and what I'm willing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and some it's less feasible or, you know, it's hard for me to know, is it less feasible or that they're less willing? I don't know. Mm. Um, and sometimes I've had to say I can't take something on um, because it requires too much travel. Um, I guess where it was more complicated was at points like when I was pregnant Mm -hmm. and it was before I was able, you know, or willing to, I mean, I guess you can say straight away, but uh, typically, I guess in British society, we don't tell people in the first uh, two or three months Mm -hmm. and I didn't feel able to tell my client Mm -hmm. and they were asking me to go to Syria and I felt, yeah, I felt I was letting them down, but I wasn't able to say why I wasn't uh, willing to go to Damascus. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And I was in Lebanon and I was already, uh, you know, not traveling as well as I used to. So kind of finding flights difficult when I was pregnant and things like that. Um, uh, Yeah. And I think you, not just being pregnant, but just I think the second you're a mother, um, you're maybe not for everybody, but for me, certainly my threshold of risk um, is much lower. Mm. I, um, before I wasn't a risk taker, but I was, uh, comfortable with taking risk. Um, how to explain it. I wouldn't ever, I, I, I was someone who sort of conformed to security regulations and conformed to the rules and regulations of an organization. Yeah. But, um, I, didn't mind the thought of losing my life to be dramatic uh, or or something bad happening to me um, in the pursuit of trying to help people. I felt like the, the causes I believed in and was working for um, made that worthwhile, that risk. Whereas once I was pregnant and I had children, I thought it's not just about me. Um, Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I definitely, like, I definitely resonate with that. Like, my risk threshold in terms of, like, travel and the stuff I do has, yeah, definitely gone down since I've had my little boy. And, in fact, I've only done a very small amount of travel in my work since, you know, he was born three years ago because I just, in the beginning, it wasn't, it wasn't just the risk thing. I was just not willing to leave him and I couldn't figure a way to take him in my head and I've since talked to women that actually have taken very young children on you know on work travel and stuff but no I couldn't you know I couldn't really get my head around that in the beginning I don't know whether you did any in, when your kids were very small or took them with you well, or anything <laughs> um I mean the, the youngest I so with with Johan my first uh mm. I traveled when he was eight months but it was from Madrid to we were living in Madrid to Geneva it was yeah. three days yeah. uh, I was pregnant already with my second mm-hmm. um, and then with Lena my second uh, it was a lot later that I traveled but then I had taken so then I taken on full-time work again mm-hmm. um, and um, it was so the first trip was oh no I did do a short trip to Geneva um but it was a six-month contract that was quite intense and there were three trips to Geneva um and a trip to Malaysia and a trip to Morocco and Mm. so that client is my current client actually um were amazing and they initially intended for the consultant to travel to the six regions where they worked um and you know to cover a, a range of different settings mm-hmm. um and then when I said I was still breastfeeding my daughter and I wasn't sure about being away that long um they said they would adapt and I could bring her with me I could yeah. choose which countries to go to um and so we chose the countries in line with that and then mm-hmm. actually in the event my husband and I just felt it was just too complicated because even where we live we're so remote um even getting to Morocco which is close to France uh is a sort of 14 hour journey and getting to Malaysia was a 24 hour journey and I thought you know even in both those places I could find care and everything else and we'd kind of set it up so it was possible for me to bring her um it's just such a long and disruptive journey for a small child yeah but in the end you didn't take her yeah no uh, and I and I pumped my milk and I came back and my milk was still, it was more that I knew she would still happily take my milk. It was more that I was worried, I guess, you know, just about the separate, you know, you have anxiety about how they'll react to the separation. Yeah. Um, and if you don't have milk anymore, uh, how they would respond to that sort of disappointment, you know, being a united mummy and then it not being a hundred percent all of mummy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah 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 these are complexities around it aren't they and let's let's um explore a bit further like what kinds of expectations it sounds like your current client is is really supportive but what kinds of expectations have you encountered in general in the sector around flexibility and family life I guess working as a consultant makes it a bit easier but like what have you seen other women experiencing Mm. particularly in the humanitarian sector which I'm not so familiar with like what what do you see and hear um I mean as sort of continue on the thread of breastfeeding Mm -hmm. 
the so a challenge for me has been pumping and I know that's not just for me mm-hmm. um, because those are just for me it's been short trips and then where do I go to pump my milk and some yep. people don't have an issue don't need to pump their milk in the daytime but for me <laughs> to be very explicit my, my breasts become quite full and quite painful yes. um, and uh, yeah so you can't go into the toilet and do that because it takes about 20 minutes half an hour yeah so then you end up either sort of trying to occupy some office breakaway room mm-hmm. which invariably has huge windows you're putting across curtains hoping no one comes in or you're trying to do it sort of discreetly in a corner with a scarf hangover you and uh, yeah similarly uh, I was trying to pump on flights and things like that and you feel very wow. self-conscious and more so than for me now I guess I feel very comfortable breastfeeding but pumping seems somehow stranger and weirder and I have this you know thing sticking out of my clothing. <laughs> uh, I never thought about that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is a mechanical yeah, thing yeah yeah and get it look at you going what has she got there you know whereas I guess if someone sees a child nuzzling into you they kind of work out what you're doing yeah whatever uh, they think about it they kind of get it <laughs> yeah yeah whereas it's like a curious plastic contraption yeah um, yeah, yeah with a bottle sticking out of it um so that's sort of one issue um I guess another issue, and I, I think that's across all sectors, but yeah. um, I guess you hope that the humanitarian sector, because it promotes breastfeeding, because it talks about gender equality, uh, you know, certainly for the the affected populations, you kind of hope that that might be reflected on the human resources of the internal organization, but it's not always, is it? And then... No, I think not. And I think that's in, that's an interesting, really interesting point, like organizations that are talking a lot about gender equality and stuff and then looking at their practice around some of these things and you find like there isn't anything or it's it's kind of like make it up on the spot or whatever then yeah that's a bit of a for me that's a bit of an issue you know yeah and it's down to so like I say my current client has been amazing but I think it literally is down to the individual who's supervising me at the time you know it's not it's not like policy written in stone that you should allow the person to choose where their field visits are or yeah um i mean i can't be sure you know i don't know all their human resources policies inside and out but um that's you know that's my sense that there is flexibility in how things are implemented and you, you, it's luck of the draw a bit yeah um and then it's, i mean another issue that i was thinking of is this um I think when I've said that I want flexibility in my travel, uh, when I've said I want to hire someone else to go on my trip or, you know, I want it to be taken into account that I'm breastfeeding, I want to get home faster. Mm-hmm. Um, people have responded really well. Whereas uh, my husband, mm-hmm. it's, it's not always been the same reaction for him. I think mm-hmm. the assumption is what's your wife doing? Uh, mm-hmm. shouldn't she be able to cope alone so we have two and they're very close in age they're 14 months apart mm-hmm. um, and uh, initially when we were living in Madrid uh, I, I don't speak very well I don't speak Spanish <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and we were and we were in the suburbs and I didn't really have a network to draw support from mm-hmm. um, and I guess that's that's an issue with our work as well you know my husband's French I'm British we've always traveled he has a daughter from a 
previous relationship who lives in Spain. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're, we're often separated from our support networks in our sector. Yeah. Uh, so I find myself in Madrid, you know, yes, my husband's ex is there and she was very supportive, but it's my husband's ex, you know? Um, and yeah. And I had these two small children under two. Um, and that was very difficult. And, and he, uh, found it quite hard to explain to employers. Yeah. Why he couldn't travel so much because the assumption was, well, the mum's with the kids. So why does she need you? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, so I think there's also gender inequality in terms of the expectation that the mothers have to bear that burden and right. the fathers are not allowed to, yeah, uh, play that bigger parenting role yet. I mean, there's, there's moves in the right direction, but um, I don't think it's... I, th- I think there's more flexibility for mums at the moment. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it, that... that um... That, that, that even if there is flexibility for women, that, that actually that flexibility for men is not necessarily forthcoming. I'm sure that is a problem in lots of sectors, but I think the expectations are on people traveling in, particularly in humanitarian work and stuff, are pretty, you know, they're pretty intense, right? And um, I was talking to someone recently about, you know, whether that that sort of work is actually something you can keep doing as you get older and it's you know it's 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 a real question isn't it because if you keep traveling to emergency settings and have a family then there's a big sacrifice right um so yeah and some of that some of that I guess can't be helped in 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 the nature of the work but I guess I'm interested in what you think like um could be done better or could be done differently in terms of how organizations set things up for the people that work for them whether it's employees or or people work on a consultancy base because there are lots of people doing that right as well um yeah yeah what ideas do you Uh, have well sorry can i go back to another point you were making (laughs) that that um uh you were talking about you know getting older and can we still work in this sector mm-hmm, and, this, mm-hmm. and there is this whole challenge where you know what I was saying about me taking less risks and things like that now yeah. um, and there are moments when I feel a bit like a fraud because um, you know the I take short trips overseas but um, I haven't spent a huge chunk of time overseas since 2011 mm-hmm. um, and what no no i spent about two or three months in jordan in 2013 mm-hmm. um but um you know things like i wasn't directly involved in the ebola response um i'm trying to think of other more recent emergencies where you know it, there's this definite feeling for me and i don't know if people judge us in that way mm-hmm. but that the, uh, you're meant to have been involved in the latest big emergency to really know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And and I think, on, I mean, we'll come to that maybe later, but, you know, in some ways, yes, I think I have gained a lot from becoming a mum and I, um, being a mother means that there are some things I understand better mm-hmm. and can improve my work. Uh, but on the other hand, there are ways in which I feel like maybe I'm a bit withdrawn from aspects of my work, which I knew so much better before. Yeah. Um, 
And in terms of so what you were saying about solutions that um, uh, employers can kind of provide. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I guess the best, the big thing which is I've already mentioned is flexibility. But mm-hmm. for for both mums and dads, right? It's yeah. um, and kind of recognizing that it's a team that raises a family, not not just the mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, if we want to address, sorry, I mean, address gender equality in the world and all the rest of it and mm-hmm. tackle these, you know, gender equality is such a big driving factor behind sexual and gender-based violence. So it's something I'm obviously very passionate about. It's what yeah. I work in. But yeah. for me, if my children are going to, if my son in particular is going to um, be someone who will believe in gender equality and treat women equally mm-hmm. he needs to be raised by someone who's demonstrating um that kind of parental role in a positive light yeah. and that means that it's not just the mother's role mm-hmm. um so it kind of it's for me it goes back to that whole thing about the way you treat your staffing is the way the world will operate around you you know mm-hmm. and if you want to have an impact on the human rights of those affected populations you're meant to be supporting, you have to, you have to role model that. Yeah. Um, you have to role model good human resources and work ethics, um, and equality. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I guess it's flexibility in, in all these senses. So it's, yeah, it's sort of supporting breastfeeding in the long, you know, not just the pregnancy, but the, the fact that a child is still a child for and and having massive rapid development and not sleeping and all the rest of it for the first sort of three, four years of their life. Um, and then beyond that, you know, um, predictable work schedules that allow your child to have an education. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, it's complicated, right? It's, it's, uh, allowing for, families to work in contexts where they're yeah you can meet the needs of the family whilst the adults who work in the humanitarian sector can provide the skills that they've developed um to the organizations they want to work for because i think it's also a shame for the organizations that a lot of i mean i i see certainly in child protection that a lot of um, people, once they get more experience, because child protection is so dominated by women, mm-hmm. um, once they have children, they withdraw from the sector. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have another cycle of very young and new, less experienced, you know, very capable and competent individuals mm-hmm. come into the sector who don't have the years of experience running projects. Yeah. Um, so there's this kind of cycle of losing the expertise yeah um because it's people like me who say right i can't travel so much anymore yeah um so how do you make it more feasible for more experienced staff to yeah have their feet on the ground and be able to deliver programs in a way that makes them able to also raise their families and have a family life yeah i know and it's a, it's something that i um I've thought about a bit too, like most of my work previously is more, you know, more develop as you know, Hannah, is more development focused. So it's not so kind of emergency, have to be on the ground this minute type of stuff. But still, I have that sense of, you know, 
I haven't been able to spend lots of time anywhere in the last, you know, in the last three years since my son was born. And um, so, so that means I'm like this kind of person that I maybe in my twenties thought was a bit ridiculous. They were like, turn up and do something for a few days and go away again. And um, I know, I know. Right? <laughs> I do, I do wonder like, how we can like like you said there's then this loss like because I'm not going to go and spend three months somewhere right now because I want to look after my son and when I think about what does that mean does that mean relocating him what about his dad how do we all go together I'm probably not going to do that and you know the odd person will do that maybe relocate their whole family and that's fine but um but but the reality is that most of us probably aren't going to do that we're going to say well I'd love to but 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 or maybe I can do a bit of this and a bit of that but I can't do the whole piece and so then I think well how could the sector capitalize on our kind of you know the expertise we've developed over the years and are there opportunities for doing things you know supporting other people you know supporting maybe some of those younger women that are as you say capable mm. and competent but maybe don't have the experience in some way like are there innovative ways that organizations could do that you know, I feel like I feel like there's there's a real point there around expertise mm. and and how people capitalise on it and and I think it's the sort of it's like proposing the opposite of just like total brain drain in the sector where like you know people just get tired and think okay let me go do something else <laughs> you know yeah well I guess it's a bit I mean so this one client who'd agreed um, there was a research component that was meant to be carried out on the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I was pregnant. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't remember if I was, no, I was far along enough. And I told them I was pregnant when mm-hmm. I was offered the contract. Um, but they had already sort of selected me, I think. And um, I can't remember the timeline actually, but uh, irrespective, I'd sort of said to them before, you know, would it be possible for me to take the contract? Um, but I would have to have someone else do the research on the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and they said, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we chose a country that I had lived and worked in. Yeah. So that, yeah, I knew people on the ground who could carry out the research. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it was, you know, yeah, it was kind of what you're saying, you know, um, they were, well, actually they, yeah they were very competent, very capable individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I developed the research tools and we adjusted them and they were on the ground and having meetings and then we were kind of uh, in touch every day um, through phone calls or email. And yeah, and they were going to give me feedback and then I could sort of guide the research process and really start to kind of write that, the report based on their work. Mm. Um, and I think that worked quite well, but then I guess the sort of knock-on effect was it was much more time-consuming. Um, yeah. yeah, I ended up, uh, I think, doing sort of two or three times the number of days that the consultancy contract was paid for. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was the kind of the process of managing someone else to do something is just so much more consuming than right. if you do it yourself because um, you have to develop the tools and then explain to someone else how to use the tools. Um, you have to kind of develop the research strategy and plan in your head and then you have to explain that process to someone else uh, and then they implement it and then you have to go through a process of getting all the feedback, write a report, feed it back to them, they edit and add comments and it just yeah. all ends up um, 
taking much longer. So then I guess it's about, yeah, the employer also recognizing, yeah, that, that kind of coaching and mentoring, that whole process will be t- time consuming. Yeah, that's interesting that you say that. I've certainly worked, uh, yeah, with people on projects before and found that, you know, there's something you gain and then there's, there's that time thing is definitely an issue, you know, like, so that, it, yeah, there's resource implications, I guess, to it. And But I guess I was thinking, like, perhaps if it was something built into how people did things, then, then mm. that might be, you know, they might see the broader impact of that being that the person you're working with then develops some skills and knowledge from the work you do together so then the extra time is not kind of just you know kind of as it were wasted in inverted yeah comments, yeah it, no exactly got an impact which it definitely would yeah. have I'm sure um but it's about sort of pointing that out maybe yeah mm. well and then I mean it's it's a broader issue about capacity strengthening across the sector right that who who covers the cost of that you know the, it's resource heavy mm-hmm. um and um something else that you know bothers me because well I was uh, yeah I had my first child at, well I was, met my partner at 35 years old I had my first child at 38 mm-hmm. um and so I definitely also get that experience of being single and the expectation that I would cover for um people women mm-hmm. um who were married and had children yeah um and yeah whilst I am someone who's now married and has children and you know, would love someone to cover <laughs> do the research and the extra hours. Right. Um, it, it's just, there's something about a, a, a need for a system-wide recognition of this and to resource it uh, correctly, you know, mm-hmm. like to sort of say, I mean, also the other, I guess the other thing is that the single younger one, younger ones, like I was, well, I was 35, um, uh, get you know often on lower grade and paid less um and that's also not reasonable um Mm. kind of needs to be a recognition of the hours being put in and and the impact that has on their own personal lives and it all needs to kind of be measured up and be a bit fairer um yeah yeah. so so it was your experience that you had to kind of cover for people who who yeah weren't able to do things because they were having children before is that what you were you were alluding to (laughs) yeah I mean it sounds you know it wasn't done begrudgingly but Mm -hmm. um definitely you know the well UK and I think it's EU wide um regulations around return to work for um someone who have children mm-hmm. is that they have to be allowed to come back um uh, part-time or flexible working hours i think yeah. it is and yeah. um and they cannot be reduced in grade yeah. um so yes i'd experienced people being promoted automatically because they'd had children in effect yeah uh, and were returning yeah. um and the assumption was that yeah i mean i yeah i was working longer hours and it's not like I begrudge that in, I, I, I don't blame the individual who's coming back. You know, yeah. I think that's right. What, yeah. but that, that shouldn't then penalize yeah. the single person um, yeah. who's then meant to do more hours, yeah. uh, you know, staying on a lower grade yeah. uh, whilst the other person promoted that, 
that's the issue I have with it I think you know that the organization should then go right well we have to have enough resourcing to yeah 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 cover both those expectations that someone's doing more work um should also be I mean I'm yeah I'm not saying this is all about money but I just mean yeah you have to also think about the personal life impact for a single person yeah Um, yeah who might be covering some of this stuff particularly in an organization rather than a consultancy setting like we're both in now within an organization right yeah 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 yeah, which is different um because i guess when when yeah you know in my in my scenario now um they would have to you know when i'm subcontracting they have to pay us both yeah Um, exactly so it is much um yeah it's much fairer it's much cleaner yeah it's cleaner and fairer it's within organizations that this stuff can start to become yeah a bit a bit unfair in in weird ways that perhaps people don't always appreciate definitely yeah Um, we wanted to talk about something else which is like how being a mother has impacted your work and perhaps how your work has impacted the way that you mother <laughs> yeah what are your thoughts about that Hannah because it's interesting to me I definitely probably have a few of my own but I'd love to hear yours <laughs> um are you going to share some of your own too I will do I can do yeah. <laughs> I'd like to hear them um well so I guess I mean in particular uh you know as I sort of mentioned earlier um I work on child protection I work on sexual and gender-based violence I think a lot about those topics and that's what I'm looking at all day mm-hmm. um and I am very conscious you know I'm I'm wary for my children. So I, Mm -hmm. you know, the second we were hiring nannies and Mm -hmm. uh, talking about sending our children to childminders, I was asking lots of questions about, you know, how people discipline the the children they're working with or um, Mm -hmm. what are their child protection policies. And, Mm -hmm. um, uh, but also um, with both my children, I've been, I think, uh, quite early on thinking about how they learn that they're allowed to say no if they don't want physical contact from someone. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I remember with my two year old uh, boy, so he's now nearly four, but when he was two, my little boy uh, having a moment where we'd kind of not known where he was for about half an hour. And it turned out a friend had taken him to the toilet mm-hmm. um, um, and feeling like, yeah, I need to be able to explain to him that he's not, he, he's allowed to say if he doesn't want to go to the toilet with someone else, he's allowed to say he comes to me. Mm-hmm. No one else is allowed to wipe his bottom clean, you know, these kinds yeah. of things. Yeah. Um, so I've had those kind of conversations, I guess, with my children probably earlier than other members of my family or, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I, I know that other people are very conscious now and there are campaigns done by a lot of organizations that raise awareness on these issues, but yeah. I think there's a sort of paranoia I have and I, and I try and be very logical and I don't let my paranoia rule our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, but I definitely talk to both my children so that they know uh, in, the, in child's language that people are not allowed to touch them where they don't want to be touched. Yeah. Um, and then I guess there's a, 
you know, there's a whole side, you know, the other way around where um, I think I'm a, a bit more sentimental about my work and I'll end up with tears in my eyes much more often when I'm even just reading things. I think mm-hmm. it used to be that it was really when I was on the ground and talking to children and women uh, or, or men or boys about their experiences um, that I would get very moved. But now, yeah, I find some of my reading quite brutal. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I can sit at my desk <laughs> in mm. tears. <laughs> mm. And I think this is in part because I just feel the world is so unfair. And I think mm. uh, my children are so lucky. Yeah. Um, and it is really hard to... To work out how we can live in a world where these two things coexist um, and that there's not more we can do to change that mm. um, but I and uh, but I think yeah in some ways that uh, I know I'm trying to think uh, you know d- does it make me work harder I don't know um, I worked very hard before it's hard to know Mm. Um, and and now I have less hours, right? So I have more hours that I'm spending on other things. Yeah. Um, and then and there's a whole side to it where so I mean I'd run parenting sessions and workshops on positive discipline and mm-hmm. you know being gentle with children and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I now have much more compassion for parents about losing their temper, and I'm learning compassion for myself. Um, mm to not judge myself because I know all the theory of why I shouldn't shout at my children. And I, I try and be a very gentle mummy and I, you know, I co-sleep with my children and they're four and three and uh, I still breastfeed. And, um, but uh, sometimes I lose my temper and I think for a long time I found that very hard to deal with. And it's only uh, about a month or so ago that I realized I just have to not beat myself up and yeah, I might, I I do believe in being gentle mummy and all my work and understanding about child development and all the rest of it teaches me that I should aim to be that. But sometimes I'm a human and I don't fit with the theory of what I try to preach. Mm. Um, uh, I'm not sure that directly answers your question, but (laughs) Um, oh, it's always interesting, and it's it, yeah. I, 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 I know the the your last point very well. Like that place of like just ha- coming to an acceptance of you know, there's 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 how I'd like to be a mom, and there's like how I am, and like they relate to each other, but they're not always the same. But I was no. going to say, and, and, I, and I was going to say something slightly different. I, in fact, yeah, I was going to say that um, one thing for me was that um, having experience of living in different places in the world and sort of knowing how differently people do things felt like a massive positive for me when mm. my son was small and I felt like other mums, new mums around me, I was going to say young mums, but they were very young and nor was I particularly, but like uh, like feeling like they should do things in a certain way or at this certain age my child should be doing X or should be doing Y or I should be putting them to bed at this time or whatever, all these things that kind of 
you know, are absorbed from somewhere, sometimes from books or people around you or whatever. I felt totally comfortable in rejecting anything I didn't want to do. <laughs> and I yeah, I agree. I think it really had to do with like knowing a lot about how very differently people bring up children, for example, in different parts of the world. And therefore, you know, why should I do X or Y? I'll do what I like. <laughs> a part of that's my character, but I do think it became a little bit from my yeah. work. And then, yeah, other- no, totally, yeah, totally. I mean, I, I kept saying, because midwives would uh, see me breastfeeding Jojo within the first 24 hours because we left after, yeah, we left the hospital after 24 hours or maybe yeah. less, I can't remember now. Um, and they say, oh, you, you're like a breastfeeding guru, you know. And I put it down to, because my mum didn't breastfeed me. Mm. Um, and certainly in my family, I don't remember seeing anyone breastfeed. But I put it down to living in West Africa and seeing a lot of women breastfeed. Mm. Um, because I think for me, no one had to teach. Well, I mean, I did go to the little breastfeeding courses they do on the NHS. Mm. But um, uh, yeah just the way you hold a baby and and you know and the same thing with the co-sleeping yeah uh just it has felt very natural for me um but also I just remember I lived in Cambodia for a while and our landlord lived in the flat below and they basically the whole family slept in the same bed and you know over the years I realized that's the case most of the time most places Mm. I've lived and then it Mm. just seems so normal it's like oh yeah why would you put a six-month-old in a different room in a different bed um and so yeah I think what might have been a very British mentality you know my mum definitely had us in cots yeah me too I thought I was in a cot immediately yeah (laughs) (laughs) but it seems so odd to me it does it seems so odd to me and I totally for the same reasons I think most people in the world sleep with their children at least in the beginning, and for yeah. quite a long time. And for me, that feels like about being about safety and about like connection. And I don't know. I, I had no desire for my son to sleep in a different room when he was small at all. Yeah. Now he does sometimes, and then he comes in and whatever, you know. But um, like yeah, I that's know. like my son now. It's fifty-fifty. He goes to sleep, and then he comes in, or he yeah. sleeps with me, and then yeah. Yeah. yeah and I just yeah I had no yeah no no issue about that in my mind at all um the other thing I was going to say though was to was to really echo what you said about like the world is so unfair and I I do think I feel that more and it relates to that thing you were saying about risk like I feel things even more because I think not only is the world really really unfair but you know my child has to live in it even when I'm gone and mm. it's such a mess and like yeah. you know, what what yeah. you know all the things and I, yeah. I I haven't necessarily got the paranoia that I maybe could develop quite easily <laughs> that you described <laughs> but I definitely have the like oh this world is a mess and so many and so yeah. many bad things could happen to you <laughs> type of thing and like yeah yeah one kind of feeling maybe a bit more powerless in a way about that but also feeling yeah. it more intensely somehow and, and it's there's this um I think I I mean I was always very well always I guess from about the age of 14 15 I was very passionate also about concerns about the environment and mm. uh, very yeah 
very worried about it you know took it very to heart when mm. my teacher was talking about ecological issues and things like that mm. um and but somehow yeah so I, I already had that but somehow when you have children and you see the environmental challenges and then I think of not just my children but my children's children and that, that line goes on and on and on into the future I find that such a weight to bear as well to think is my grandchildren my great-grandchildren it's all the rest of it and you think that is one of it's somehow different for me you know I guess before I felt like yes at one point in the future I feel like the human population is going to get wiped out yeah but now it's one of my blood (laughs) it feels you know this fear and I almost hope my children won't have children (laughs) because I think oh it's such a weight to bear to think that someone I love so much who will love someone so much (laughs) might lose you know everything yeah Yeah. it it does it creates an extra burden in the heart doesn't it I mean we might have it already a bit but um, makes it more obvious definitely yeah 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 I've got one last question for you. It's yeah. a question we ask everyone. How do you care for and look after yourself in the midst of being a mom, doing this work in the world, feeling passionately about it, feeling, yeah, all the things? <laughs> How do you look after yourself? Well, I'm good. So I'm going to answer this. Um, mm. And really I think uh it's partly your work and what you post on Facebook that makes me realize oh I do do little things that take care of myself Mm -hmm. because you sort of said we have to recognize it's not necessarily going for a spa day out because I haven't done anything like that since (laughs) I've had my first child Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. exactly Uh I don't have the support network yeah Mm. um so it is little things so I have a shower every single day um, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's no way I miss my shower <laughs> um, and that means uh, generally we have a kind of no cartoon policy but if my husband's away cartoons are on mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well they might yeah my little girl will normally come and read read in the bathroom with me rather than um, uh, I and this is kind of a more recent thing I used to watch TED Talks whenever my, my husband was away in my lunch break um, mm-hmm. but then I realised that was another you know, it's another way my brain's working and it would often be sort of heavy subjects related yeah. to work that I feel yeah. passionate about because that's what I read about and want to hear about. Yeah. Um, but just recently I thought, you know, I need to laugh more often. I'm missing laughing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I just started Google, you know, the f- funniest YouTube, Michael McIntyre, mm-hmm. uh, looking for comedy, basically YouTube comedy clips. And that's how I'm filling my lunch hours now. Love it. Um, um, trying to because I'm a home-based consultant I could spend the whole day at home so yeah. uh, trying to leave the house at least once a day yeah it's very <laughs> important very important <laughs> <laughs> that's normally kind of my little boy catches the bus to school so it's either walking him to the bus or walking back and then catch up with you know the other parents who are waiting at the bus mm-hmm. um uh, what was I, was I have been trying to think of things that I do to take care of myself um I like I love to cook so mm-hmm. uh I definitely don't cook as complicated things you know I don't make homemade pasta or certainly not stuffed pasta or things like that anymore um you did that but... well <laughs> <laughs> I'm impressed <laughs> um but yeah I still you know we still have home-cooked food and yeah 
I love to cook so I take the time to to cook and um and actually that's a nice thing that I get the kids involved with me now you know yeah. so we bake together we've been I've been learning how to make bread lately with some bread recipes I've found and the kids will help me knead the bread which is a great way to relieve stress yeah <laughs> um, idea. yeah and so uh yeah I think those are the big things that I do most often have to have my cup of coffee every day so yeah and yeah and getting dressed that's the other thing I think if you're home-based yeah uh, you could just be in your pajamas all day right yeah. and I know I know a lot of people think that's what consultants do and it sounds but, um, good <laughs> yeah, but it is not good <laughs> <laughs> it's not good for your mental health it's, so definitely, it's, it's the shower it's the getting dressed and not and yeah and I I mean I don't dress as nicely as I used to when I went into an office in London that's for sure but you know I'm not sitting here in tracksuit pants either I no um, I do sometimes but it's not good no I don't recommend you feel like you didn't get dressed and everything's mushed up and there's some weird psychological impact of it that's not desirable in my opinion yeah yeah (laughs) I mean my my yoga pants come on when I've got my period definitely (laughs) (laughs) but I still like to get into my yoga pants (laughs) yeah after a shower so then it's exactly (laughs) oh Um, thank you so much for being with us this evening Hannah and it's really interesting exploring some of this stuff with you and hearing like some yeah similar experiences and I think there's definitely aren't like really clear answers but I definitely think they're conversations that maybe could be had more you know Mm. um and that are worth you know people exploring within organizations as well as like we've done for ourselves yeah thank you so much and yeah sorry I don't have any solutions and answers really do I (laughs) it's okay I don't know I think it's the nature of the sort of work that we both have been doing is that there aren't you know it's, there's not like a magic bullet is there no but technology no. definitely helps and yeah technology helps and being being able to I mean I am very lucky that I'm a home-based consultant because it gives me you know the flexibility that uh my working day sometimes starts at nine but often it can start at 10 10 30 you know if, yeah. if I have to and I have to run the kids somewhere or so when my husband's away and everything takes me longer to get you know to get everyone get in the right place in the mornings it's really fine um whereas I think if you're working in an office it's just not as easy no that's uh, right I sometimes work early in the morning and then stop for a bit and do you know yeah. do other stuff and then at least I've done some stuff and then, you know, it means I can stop earlier and that kind of thing. So, yeah. Flexibility yeah. is it definitely helps as well. Yeah. So, enjoy the rest okay. of the evening and thank you for being with us. <laughs> thank you too. Yeah. And, yeah. And our theme tune over and over was written and performed by Eleanor Brown, who you can find at eleanorbrownmusic.com. <laughs>